You're listening to Life in Our Skin, a podcast created for women in the middle. Here, we discuss unique perspectives of our American experience living between the white and black communities. I'm Lisa Harris. And I'm Anahita Champion. Join us as we share life in our skin, raw and unedited. Here we are yet again. Can you believe it? Oh my goodness, Anahita. It has been a crazy, crazy wild ride. And we are absolutely joyful and (laughs) thrilled, delighted. I was going to come up with a new adjective, but we are happy to be here. And in a little moment, we're going to introduce our guests. But before we do that, you know, I was thinking I had a question for you, Miss Anahita. Oh boy. Okay. And, oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy is right. So <laughs> we're talking about women in the middle and we're talking about different cultures and you know, how we bring that together. And so I'm really curious for you when you fell in love with your Mr. Amazing Denami, how did that sit with your Iranian family? And oh. maybe you can give our, our people, our people, maybe give us a little background on that. Our people, like we have our people. people. Um, I'm very grateful that my family is not strongly political, not strongly religious, not strongly really opinionated. They were just like, do good, be good, be happy. Whatever you want to do, just be happy. So for me, it was not ever really an issue who I dated in high high school. I had to really twist arms like, can I go to prom with this person? It was more so you're not old enough versus the wrong culture. Um, I have dated Persian men. They were not the right fit for me. Um, and so when I was dating Denami, my mom got to know him really well. My sister and brother did, but my dad did it because he was in California and our calls were always like two minutes. So how do you, at what point do you say, hi, how you doing? La, 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 la. Okay. I'm dating someone. So I never really got a conversation with him until he met him. And the first time he heard about Denami kind of was jolting because I was the pregnancy announcement. So he probably has a whole oh, bunch yeah, of opinions, right. but he, he didn't, um, bat an eye to the fact that he was black. Um, that he is black and that he is not Persian. It was never really an issue. So I'm so thankful that my family has always been um, so incredibly supportive. There's been a very interesting educational component, you know, just black history and understanding that slavery doesn't really answer questions like, where did you, where were you born? Like, where are you from, from? So I'm so grateful that my family has not given me a hard time and totally soaked him up. My, I think he's my mom's favorite out of all the siblings. So. Oh, snap. <laughs> she just said that on the podcast. Yes, she knows that. I've told, them, I've told her before. Um, what about you? What about you and your fan bam? Oh, gosh. You know, um, it's funny. Um, my husband is Caucasian. And so especially within the Filipino culture, um, the the truth is many believe that I married up um and that's that's the proximity to whiteness um that is a real thing in in many uh asian cultures um it's a real thing within the filipino community certainly um but you know for me i my dad is is you know caucasian and native so you know when i grew up in a predominantly white community and my mom was more than pleased. So for us, it was never, um, you know, that conversation was never a big one. I think as the marriage 
you know, kind of evolved and matured. Um, him learning more about what it meant to be married to a woman of color, um, I think became an interesting dynamic. Um, and especially as I became more in tune with my own identity. Um, but, you know, initially, you know, the initial conversation and, and the excitement about, you know, love and marriage was, was not really a conversation. So, um, but I know it is for many, many women, it is. It is. especially women in the middle. And so we're talking about that today. We yeah. are definitely going there and I'm, and I'm, and I'm happy we're going there because we really haven't talked about like interracial marriage or dating or, you know, raising multicultural kids and households. We've a little bit here and there. Right. But yeah. that's not the case for a lot of people. Um, I have recent examples. My cousin just got married, but it was, you know, within that di- that that section of the world. But Dyke DeGrasse, we're not talking about him at the moment. We're going to talk about our next guest. Shilpa Lewis is joining us from California. And we um, have connected with her not too long ago, but we were um, chatting with her on a project she's working on. But today we're talking about you, Shilpa. Welcome, girlfriend. (laughs) Oh, guess what? We have tech issues. She's muted. I'll just say it again. I, the universe wants me to scream it out loud. I said I love I, both, of your, both of you and your work, and I'm so honored to be here. Oh, um, so so grateful for you. Thank you for those words. So okay, we're gonna talk about. I know that you have some things that you want to share about this too, because before we hit record for these podcasts, we always chat for a few minutes. But um, before we really dive into the things that you were willing to share with us about your. Um, just immigration and cultural, you know, assimilation, but also all of that stuff and and marriage and family. Will you take us back a few years to little Shilpa? Tell us about her. Um, Little Shilpa, well, she moved around a lot. (laughs) And I was, I would say, aware that things in my home were very different than things that were outside of my home. And often the culture that I was raised in influenced how I perceived the world. So like, you know, even at four, you're aware, well, I go home. I mean, if you know Indian food, you know, you have dal and rice, but you can't talk about those little nuances with your, I don't want to say white friends, but you know, at the time in the seventies, were your white friends, <laughs> any, any of your friends, you know, but at that age, at a very young age, I remember being mindful, which is ironic because now I practice mindfulness as a coach, but being mindful of the emotions my mom had, they struggled a lot. So I'm kind of weaving in some of the um, what was going on at the time is that we're immigrant families, were sacrificing a lot. And I could see that effort everything was an effort like on my parents part they were constantly working really hard dad would got his mba um he had multiple businesses while working full-time as an engineer my mom would help him so i just was cognizant of the fact that um there was a element of challenges that we were experiencing that uh, my friends didn't have outside of yeah yeah so maybe tell me shelba were um 
when did your family immigrate to this um, this country? And, and maybe share with us a little bit of your household dynamics, like siblings yeah. and, and kind of what it was like inside of your home from that perspective. Yeah. Um, so my, my dad came out, I, was, I want to say it was like the early 60s. He came out to get his master's. He was the youngest of 14 and it was his ambition to come out here. Wow. He came from this little village, which ironically, like the story is so fascinating. Like this little village where these families had known each other for generations. And then three of the boys from that village decide we're gonna go to America. One ends up at, I wanna say Stanford and he's like this brilliant uncle still who does amazing things. And the other one went to, UC, I wouldn't say USC or some some UC. Yeah. And then dad went to the college that he could get into. Middle, yeah. Back middle of Utah, he had never seen snow and he showed up and it was snowing. Oh, so like my mom. Shock. <laughs> yeah, culture shock and, yeah. you know, food and culture. And I could speak English, but still, I'm, I imagine yeah. the challenges. So he... At the time, back home in India, had promised to marry my mom. Yeah. And she was, you know, this is another interesting element I'm sure both of you are aware of, but she was not of the right caste. Okay. Yes. We've heard that. We've heard that before. Oh. So maybe talk a little bit more about that. So mom is back, mom is back home. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And dad is here in the United States getting his master's. Getting his master's. Okay. So tell us about that caste, that caste, the caste system. There's various caste systems that have been yeah. around. And I've always thought about it logically. It made probably sense hundreds of years ago to have those because each segment of the caste was aligned with some profession. Like you are the carpenter and we'll, you'll have a name so that when we refer to you, we'll know you're, you're a carpenter. You know, that made family. sense. Yeah. Hundreds of years ago, that made sense. Or you're the business people. Yeah. Or you're the priest class. Well, my dad came from the priest class known as the Brahmins. And my mom came from the business class. And eventually when they did marry, he was ostracized from the family. And they didn't talk to him until I was four years old. Wow. They didn't approve of yeah. her? Yeah. Yeah, because she I mean, was like, a different caste system. Or, it yeah. A, it was considered like a huge deal. And so. So were yeah. you born here, Shilpa, or were you born in India? You were I was born, born in L.A. Yeah. Okay, you were born here. Okay. Yeah. I mean, L.A., but here in the United yeah. States. And your siblings. What about your siblings? I'm no. an only child. Okay. Oh, yeah. I didn't that know was, that. Yeah, that was one of the many yeah. challenges mom and dad went through is um, she had this episode when I was four. She went in for emergency surgery. It was an, what do you call it, ovary, ovarian or uterus thing going on. Anyways, mm -hmm. next thing mm -hmm. they knew, they gave, did a, complete hysterectomy without her permission <gasps> yeah and so I mean these were the struggles that I witnessed yeah. I, I would see what happened to her psychologically yeah. and not having the support system because her mom was back in India there there was just so did much she understand did she understand what did she understand what was happening um, no, I mean, you know, here's the, like, this is a tangent. We can have another show on this one day. But when it fine. comes to women's physiology, right. often yeah. those kind of things were either not talked about or yes. were uneducated about to the this point where I was uneducated. My mom wasn't going to talk about it with me. No. So was <laughs> there an advocate? Was there an advocate for her at all? Like, 
no, no, we, we were alone. Uh, yeah. We had no family in those days. Yeah. It's the early seventies where people were still back in India. Yeah. What was it called? Because I have the same condition. It's when you're, you have a fibroid that's grown too large. Yeah. Like polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS. I think it's a combination of both. Like okay. So I have that. And so anyway, she went through that and I know it was really isolating for her. Yeah. Really challenging. She was young. You know, yeah. I mean, I look at, when I had my child, I was much older. And mom, I think she was in her early 20s still. She didn't really speak English or? She barely spoke English. So she was educated. Yeah. She, she had a degree in economics. She was really smart, but she didn't, um, she barely spoke English. In fact, one of her ongoing kind of things we refer to is in the beginning when she came to the U.S., she'd say, oh, I don't know if to call him a he or she. Yeah. Her, yeah. She, like she goes, my mom still does that calls calls somebody he versus yeah. she but I find that you know it's really interesting <laughs> when you're talking about the the medical field and the access to a support system within the medical field and I know we're totally talking about something different than maybe we intended but I do think that's what's beautiful about these conversations it's really important um and it's very relevant within the women in the middle because you know having people to talk to even when my mom was sick with cancer you know having those conversations even when English even when they know how to speak English and they're very intelligent. It's just, there's all these barriers to what they share, their comfort level. You're talking about her intimate feminine parts, which is not a conversation my mom was ever comfortable with. And then you're talking about medical jargon um, and a different language. That's a lot of things uh, layered on top of each other for women in the middle and any immigrant families that are trying to understand the medical field. It's um, it's bizarre. I mean, go, going against the grain for I'm, that's very much me. But like, I talk about all the anatomy things with Roya, like very much so. And I started to around age four. She knows how a tampon goes in. She's always trying to like watch, and I think that's a little bit too much. But I'm like, I I, I talk a lot and often. And my mom, when she comes over, she's like, "Why isn't she wearing underwear?" I'm like, first of all, she's in her house. Second of all, this is how we do it. That's not how you did it, but this is how we do it. <laughs> the differences of just upbringing, right? So yeah. what what was that like growing up then here with your parents really trying to kind of get their footing straight? I I felt like personally, there was a lot of, and I hate saying this because it's not like I'm not grateful. They did everything they could yeah. for me, but there was yeah. this always undercurrent of, tension and stress and that also manifested in how my parents had their dynamics and often dad was so old school and like this male dominance like uh he's he's the authority and then he would um basically i would say dictate the way in which communication transpired in the family and so there was a lot of ego involved that he had to go and bring back people. So we were always constantly sacrificing. It was never like there was nobody. It was somebody was always in the home, some aunt, some uncle. We were always yeah. sending over half of our paycheck to India. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Our money was always going to the Philippines. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 
it's all in the matter of, of how you tell the story. And this is the narrative coach coming out in me, mm-hmm. how you tell the story, what's part of that story serves you. Um, but yes, there's a version of that story that that resonates with me of sending money back home and how beautiful that is to know that there are people um, who are in a part of the world where they have the opportunity to do that and how that can really help um, family in another part of the world. It's also kind of this, this, this idea of you also have to help yourself, which there's this clashing of ideas and culture that you're constantly struggling with and, and living through. And for you, I imagine, and maybe you can share more as an only child, did you have any other cousins or um, other friends within the same culture that could help you kind of isolated? Right. Um, I felt isolated mostly because, I mean, we did have some social engagement with those two men I mentioned that dad came to the States with. Mm -hmm. We all ended up in the general area in LA-ish and we would meet and their children were close to me. So we would have get togethers. And it wasn't until I was close to, I would say seven or eight, that some of my cousins that were closer in my age came to the States. That was dad's uh, older brother and their three kids. And he really relied on us heavily. Dad bought a motel near Disneyland and thought, okay, I'll do my full-time engineering job and at night I'll go run the motel and then I'll hand it off to my uncle when he yeah. comes from India. My uncle didn't want to do anything with it. And it, dad was just like kind of going in the dark. He didn't have mentors in those days. I remember like he would clean the motel with my mom. She would work full time. Dad would work full time. I would be watching them. Yeah. And we moved every two to three years. Yeah. Wow. Why? Why would you guys move? Where would I you think- it would like essentially if he found a new opportunity that was within the states and he thought it was going to help the family we would pack up and move and we we did that pretty much until 14 when i went to india and then i lived in india for four years and which was a culture shock oh my goodness wow that's the cover (laughs) what took you guys to india because that's a new thing for you but it was going back for them yeah. yeah. Well, so he had just sponsored dozens. I'm not even just saying like a few people. He had sponsored dozens of people, helped them. But his dream in his head was one day I'll go back, I'll save up this money and build a beautiful bungalow and we're going to go back. Oh. Well, that wasn't exactly fair for me and definitely not something my mom was all that thrilled about because the, uh, there's a whole role, you know, like how women where they stand and men. And so suddenly we would go back to India every few years. He would build this house. We finally build it at 14. He's like, that's it. We're, we're moving I'm back. Yeah. And um, it was hard because I remember just before we moved, I had finally felt stable. We were living in Irvine, you know, where Irvine, California is. Mm-hmm. I was doing so well in that school. And I thought, okay, I'm about to be in high school. I want to be a cheerleader. I, I was, all, I had all these dreams, you know, That's and good. I want to learn, I want to learn how to speak French and I want to do all these, you know, things that girls are doing your age. Yeah. And uh, they're like, no, we're going to move to India. And suddenly I struggled. I had to learn yeah. how to speak the language yeah. and the mathematics and science there is far more 
difficult. Yeah. yeah. More important than cheerleading. Uh, yeah, more important wow. than cheerleading. Way more important than cheerleading. You know what? It's so interesting. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Shopa, because when you talk about, and it's probably, may I ask, how old is your father right now? He just turned 80 something. <laughs> I should know better. Okay, well, I was trying to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. I was just trying to figure out his age as it relates to mm -hmm. my grandfather and my father. Um, but what's really interesting, your story, the part of your story that resonates with me is my grandfather um, really coming to this country to help support family back home. And in his mind, he was always going back home. He was always going to go back home. It was for the opportunity, but it wasn't about being an American. And it's interesting because, but then my grandmother, when she came here, she, you know, really did blossom in this environment where women were a little bit more on a playing field, even though in the home, grandpa was still the one in charge. Um, but there was a little, the outside culture had an influence, right? And so it's really interesting how, you know, your dad had a similar idea. I'm going to go here with the opportunities and then I'm going to go home. But mom was like, maybe not. Like I'm getting my footing here in America and, and I can be my own person here. Um, the casting. I, so I'm thinking like the casting type, like, right. He was the priest cast. She was the business class. And I just wonder what that was like when you guys went to India, when you were 14, you were getting into high school. So oh. what was that whole, <laughs> what was the expectation I, that they put on I, you? I dreaded it. I remember the time leading up to us, us finally making that move. And I thought, why can't I have a say in this? Why, why am I, I almost felt like I was being kidnapped or hijacked and I didn't want to go. I didn't. I mean, sure, there's some elements of being in that country that were fascinating, but you think about it in the context of somebody who's already moved every two or three years, finally they move again, and it's to a country where they can barely speak the language, the schooling system was difficult. I stood out, like, I, I didn't fit in, like, wow. I didn't, so you wear a uniform, and I remember the, the and there was always a gutsy part of me that enjoyed theater, and so I did a little bit of theater growing up. And I thought, I want to do something cool like that in India if I can find it. Yeah. Well, there, I remember this one moment where I, you're, you get, you're supposed to memorize a speech and give it in front of the school. Sure. And I thought, I can do it. So it was a Shakespeare little thing. I, I, I read some of it and memorized some of it. And as I'm standing in front of the school, all these kids on the, who are seated on the ground on the sand, and I'm on this podium, I started getting heckled and booed and oh. made fun of because I had an American accent. Yeah, sure you did. Wow. That's so wow. sad. Well, okay, so you're there for four years. That's that's crazy pivotal high school stuff. You're you're getting heckled during this moment you're kind of excited about. What about closer to the end of high school? Like Yeah after high school here, right? Like your senior year, you're applying to colleges here. Like Lisa's going through that with her daughter. What was that like for you and the year? Yeah. Oh, the senior year, something happened with the schooling system and I had to take some exams over again. It was just very painful because 
I had this pride. I, I'm a really smart student. And I, I was struggling throughout the four years there mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. Um, one of them, it sort of dates me, is that within my second year there, the schools were shut down because Indira Gandhi was assassinated. And so what I learned very quickly is that your day-to-day -day schooling life here in America, if something happens to the president, but for the most part, you're going to be in school. Nobody's going to do something and pull you out. In India, there were riots. And so... Yeah. I mean, because we live so close to Pakistan, where they they were constantly having conflict in those days. So fast forward to my senior year in high school, I told my parents, that's it. I, I'm 18 or about to turn 18. I'm going home. I'm going I'm going home. home. I have uh, all I know is that in America, I could probably maybe stay with an uncle for a while, go, go get into college. Oh, wow. I mean, I, nobody guided me. I just said, I'm going to go yeah. and I'm going to define my own life. And so my mom was like, no, we're going with her. I was like, I can go alone. <laughs> yeah. What wow. happened? So, so your family did come back here then. <laughs> they came back. And that was hard for dad. Really hard. Oh, I need popcorn. This is a good story. Jumbo, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know. Um, you know, okay. So I just want to say thank you, first of all, for, for sharing all of this. It's so beautiful. I want to know from you with this journey and all of this cultural impact and being an only a child, you know, what is the beauty in, in this, this, this full circle moment, right? Like there's so much we could ask you about and so many things that we could talk about. I am just wondering, you know, take us back, you know, just of all the things that you've experienced, what, what is the beauty in all of this? Like it, yeah. It's so complex. I want. I just. I just want to hear the. Nugget. You went to school. You you got married. Like, there's so much, right? We're gonna. There's just so much. Yeah, I'll I'll fast forward just enough to give you the answer. I the beauty is the fact that I I feel blessed. I mean, a lot of painful stuff stuff happened. A lot of painful stuff. I was um, not only isolated from a different both sides of the culture. But yeah. it worked out in the sense, like, I, I met my husband. I have this beautiful son. I, I feel like life actually turned out really well. But along the way, I was going against the grain. And if there's a metaphor for it, it was like I was getting scraped up and bloody along the way because um, there was no mentorship. And that, that's part of the reason I wanted to become a mentor and a coach is I wish there could have been a female I could go to and say, Hey, about sure. my female anatomy thing, can somebody help me figure this yeah. out? Or, yeah. hey, I, I don't want to have an arranged marriage. And I was constantly being chastised that, why don't you want to have an arranged marriage? It was yeah. to the point where I had to go see a, a therapist. I'm like, oh. I, was, I was anxious all the time. Like, oh, that's good that you got your master's, but when are you going to get married? Yeah. Right. The There's a whole reality show on that right now. <laughs> the maker. The beauty is that um, full circle, I learned who I am and I feel like I really do have a purpose and there's like this God, universe, whatever, higher force looked out for me. Yeah. So you're yeah. a mom to a beautiful child and you are in an interracial marriage now. Um, how long have you guys been married? A little over 12 years now. What does that, what is that relationship like for your parents and your husband? 
Oh, I remember the first night I told them about him because my previously I had not been in this situation where my parents were happy either in my dating life. <laughs> what a surprise, <laughs> right? Just doing your own thing. A lot of it I had to keep private because I just didn't want to be judged. Yeah. But when it yeah. came to my husband, we knew. Like it was that is a whole podcast on, on its own. But we were instantly aware that we're, we're right for each other. We love each other, and it was it moved like lightning fast in the moment we met. Yeah. And I remember being at the dining table visiting my parents in Orange County, and they it was like every time I visit, sit sit down. What about they always look gloom? Like what about your marriage? You're yeah. not getting any younger. You're in your thirties now. It like it was the same old thing. I finally just snapped one day and like I met somebody and we're probably gonna get married. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Was it a big, beautiful Indian wedding that we expect and see? Yeah. So you know you've seen the big my big fat Greek wedding. Absolutely. We had two weddings. <laughs> we had yes. a huge wedding in my parents' backyard, which was shocking to my husband because they kept a lot of things secret, like you know, like you've seen the traditional marriage around the fire. Well, we did that in the backyard, but unbeknownst to my husband, <laughs> they threw in a lot of surprises in, in the Indian wedding version. <laughs> and and, and he, he would be like, I remember when he came out of one of the rooms in this, you know, the traditional Indian, Indian garb, he's yeah. like, you didn't tell me I was going to be wearing this and sitting down for a few hours. In front oh. Of <laughs> oh, poor guy. Guys. I didn't know what he was going to wear. That's pretty bold. And he's like, I didn't know either. And then a week later, we had a beautiful wedding overlooking La Jolla um, Sea Coves. It was a more agnostic wedding. And sure. um, it was, it, it, <laughs> the sad part is we were exhausted from the wedding the week before. You bet. I can imagine. I can imagine. Oh, I love yeah. that part of La Jolla. Yeah. Rena, my yeah. girlfriend, Rena. Who you yeah. who you know from you know the social world? Yeah. She had she had two two weddings um, as well a tra traditional Indian wedding and then she also had you know an American version. I and I went to both and I, I believe it was all in one day though, so oh it was a little bit a lot, but it was just beautiful, just absolutely beautiful. And the wedding I was oh, talking I about that. earlier, as my cousin got married, it's my cousin through family, not by blood. So he's Pakistani. He married a girl. He's half Pakistani, half American. His his wife is now um, half American, half Palestinian. And so it was like this beautiful culmination of these cultures, but a very dumbed down version of what they wanted. They just wanted something chill, but it still had drums and we did henna and all the things. And, <laughs> um, and my husband was like, what is this? Henna party on a Thursday. The marriage ceremony was Friday. The reception was Saturday. He's like, so what are we doing? And I'm like, just let's go. go with the flow. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. They last for days. They can be very intricate. And I remember um, it, it, it was beautiful. Let's just say I truly enjoyed the wedding with my husband, but we didn't remember the details because we were exhausted all the time. And, but you're um, in love. Oh yeah, I was in love, and it. I uh, just to give you a little anecdote. What my parents, my mom would say things to me like, "You're gonna marry an Indian man, like a Brahmin, because you're you're a Brahmin," and I'm like, "No, I'm gonna marry a white guy." <laughs> <laughs> no, mom. 
actually, you're not right on this one. I met my husband. I just kind of like in my gut felt something. And I said, no, um, but I'm going to wear a beautiful white gown. I I designed my own gown for my (laughs) wedding. And she was like, really? Besides herself. I remember this was constant friction. Yeah. But fast forward about a few months before she suddenly passed away. My dad was in for gallbladder surgery. There was tension in the air because we we're trying to help dad. And as we're walking into the hospital, my mom said, you have foresight. Because she could see how happy I was. Yeah. And by then in the family, some relatives who had chosen to go down the very traditional path mm-hmm. were getting divorced. Right, right. Well, and she saw you happy. She right. saw me happy. And she really adored Rich. She she could see how respectful and kind and supportive he was. Yeah. He is. You're, and you're happy and you have a beautiful child, son, right? <laughs> son, uh, his name is Omni, oh. in which my mom helped me name um, in reference to Om and Omnipresent. Oh that. my gosh. And so that is your platform right omni mindful omni mindfulness yeah mindfulness so where can people connect with you whether if it's they want to talk about indian upbringing or talk about mindfulness where where can we connect you with oh, our community you. so i do have a website omnimindfulness.com i'm on instagram i also have guided meditations available on an app called insight timer just have to look for my name okay i didn't know that wonderful I'm on LinkedIn. I provide coaching not only in terms of meditation mindset, mostly for professional women, but Mm -hmm. I also I'm expanding into what I'm calling more intuitive business because I often have women who come back to me and say, oh, can you give me some guidance here? And I'm more instinctual in nature and I'll help them. I love that. Well, we are just so so grateful and so blessed to know you, Shilpa. And thank you so much for sharing so many beautiful parts of your story and there's so much we could have taken a deeper dive on but we know that there's somebody out there listening and can appreciate or um maybe reach out to you for you know other other services or just get to know you so thank you i know i had my popcorn ready i'm like well what's next i I feel like i was leaning in (laughs) well and i'm i'm offering um free every other month starting the month of february a free mini workshop and the first one is on um, rituals and I'm grounding everything back to science because the science in me comes out. My, my background is in computer science. Of course. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works, right? Computer uh, science, yeah. but the inner cheerleader in you will continue to advocate and cheer other people on. Okay. Yeah. So we'll send you that. We'll set with that link up. Can we get on your website? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I'll, um, I'll give you more information about the free workshops as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time and sharing this. Um, We hope that those that were listening found something that sparked some sort of feeling (laughs) in them because these conversations are just so raw. Um, So we look forward to continuing to connect with you and everybody else. We hope that you enjoyed this. Please share it, connect with Shopa, and we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.